Welcome to episode two of Cecil's Unknown Achievers, a podcast that brings you those hardworking entrepreneurs you've never heard of. I want to say thanks to those of you who listened to my first episode. I appreciate it. Today, I'm speaking with an entrepreneur from the technology sector. Here's a little bit about him. He was featured in the 2019 Cranes Detroit business 40 Under 40. He is a founding team member of MedTechColor, a firm whose mission is advancing the representation of people of color in the medical device industry. He served as the 2017 Google for Entrepreneurs Xcode 2040 Detroit EIR, that's Entrepreneurs in Residence, if you didn't know. He's been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, X Company, and Next City. He's appeared on Fox 2 in Detroit, and he's the founder and CEO of Allergy, a company that seeks to improve the quality of life for those of us suffering from chronic food allergies. He is Javier Evelyn. Javier, welcome to Cecil's Unknown Achievers. Thanks so much for having me, Cecil. It's always a pleasure to connect, man. And uh, thanks again for the opportunity, man. And I, and I have to say, uh, the the title, I hope folks don't get too hyped up. Um, just a regular guy that's made a ton of mistakes that lead to lessons that uh, hopefully others can uh, from learn from, but i um, been very fortunate over the last couple, man. So thanks again. Hey, and I thank you. And um, on a side note, I'm proud of you, man. I'll stop it. Stop it, man. This is, I don't know if we can share, but this is a family conversation as well, too. So um, at, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's always wonderful to catch up. We haven't caught up in a while, but um, um, I know this is going to be supposed to be about myself, but there's tons that I've learned uh, from my, my dear cousin Cecil, um, your dad, obviously. Um, that's actually, as I kind of reflected going into this conversation, that um, really is the foundation as to who I am right now. So I'm looking forward to letting that leak out as we have a conversation today. Wonderful, wonderful. And yes, uh, it is a family affair. Javier is my cousin. I've known him since he was about as tall as a fly. And uh, <laughs> now he's way bigger than that. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's get into it. So yes, sir. I, I mentioned your company, Allergy, in the intro, but probably didn't do it justice. So could you go into more detail about exactly what Allergy is? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the company really was started because um, of my own struggles uh, growing up with, with severe fruit allergies. Uh, historically, I never really carried uh, any type of EpiPen or any auto injector like it because I was a hard-headed kid, for lack of a better phrase. And really, you know, when I looked in, when I reflected on my upbringing, I thought about, you know, my mom being a nurse, uh, we have several folks in the family that are in the healthcare field, but for whatever reasons, I just could not be compliant to save my own life. Um, there are over 220 million people that suffer from severe food allergies around the world, uh, but around only two-thirds of patients and caregivers, uh, uh, typically, uh, actually two-thirds two of patients and caregivers typically are the ones that do not carry their life-saving device, which is the EpiPen, uh, or an auto-injector, which is mandatory to carry at all times. So, you know, as Fast forward as time went on, you know, I'm from Chicago. Uh, I got a chance to uh, get my chops into tech a couple of years ago after, and I'm sure we're going to get into that story as well. But fast forward, uh, the experiences that led up to me transitioning from a sales role in Illinois uh, to working at a health insurance company as an app developer uh, in uh, uh, this, this great city of Detroit. Uh, led to the genesis of allergy. So what we're all about is improving the lives of those impacted by severe food allergies, starting off with number one, 
a redesigned epinephrine auto injector or an EpiPen. It has a form factor that allows it to fit onto a back of a phone case for greater portability. And also it alerts people during usage. So, you know, if we're at a family function, um, way out where, or if I'm just home alone, um, I have the, if I eat the wrong food or anyone that has an allergen does, uh, this product would essentially alert the right individuals so they know, hey, Javier is located here. Here's what he's allergic to. And here's how to save his life, which is really a protocol that we are automating for the purposes of improving the lives of that patient population. And then lastly, on the other side, we have an app that's complementary and a part of a 360 solution to improve the lives of those same folks. So uh, we can know what I can and cannot eat for uh, 4th of July, Juneteenth coming up next week. We want to make sure that there's a lot more peace of mind. So ultimately, we're creating a 360 solution for those impacted in this space. Um, our device, we have some work to do in terms of getting it through the necessary regulatory channels, uh, but there's tons of lessons that we've learned along the, uh, uh, that pathway. And our app is currently available on iOS and Android, and uh, we have a couple other awesome products in our pipeline that um, we're really excited about and uh, eager to share down the road. And I, I definitely want to get into uh, a little deeper dive in some of those things that you mentioned. But you, you mentioned you were in sales before. First of all, tell me about those those jobs or one job that you had that you were mm-hmm. in sales and then how that transitioned to, you know, what you're doing now. Oh, yeah. And I'll even take it a slight step further. I mean, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do getting out of college. I just knew that I had to go to college based upon, you know, just the, the, the just the, I would say the nature of the beast that is the system that we're in right now. But and being quite in frankly, this family, you were going being to this family, bam, that was, and I'm looking at the family rules right now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny you say that. So it's literally, I think, option number or item number two. But ultimately, you know, I, I knew that. Uh, so I focused on mass common radio production back in the day in college. So um, I don't have the, the blessing of a voice that Cecil does, um, but I like to talk, right? So ultimately, uh, I, I kind of took those uh, that ability to get the gap in the sales after graduating from Illinois State um, and ultimately did more of like telemarketing, which is on paper the worst job you can personally have. But at the end of the day, it's one of those uh, types of jobs that allows you to really get battle tested, to really have thicker skin, uh, to hear the word no and not want to quit because you're going to hear it a lot, especially in those. Uh, and I don't think I've actually shared this. I only had this job for about, I think, like two and a half months. So first job out of college, I ended up working uh, for this, um, I think it was like a POS system. So selling those point of sale systems um, before, you know, the squares and all these uh, more smart types of POS systems came out. Mm-hmm. And literally our lead list was the phone book. So we literally went down the phone book. I'm dating myself, I guess, but literally a paper book and just call people smiling and dialing. And I saw that over time that that uh, uh, this is something I like. I'm actually pretty decent of it. Uh, The nature of the product I wasn't really in love with. So fast forward, what really allowed me to gain the the core experiences. um, I worked at Allstate Insurance remotely for a while. Um, but I end up getting uh, the family call finally. So in our family, we have multiple folks that have been in the insurance industry, and I got a chance to work with family for a number of years, uh, starting off with an all-state independent insurance agency. But the cool fund was really when we transitioned to more of an independent agency. And during that time period, it was one of those times where I learned everything from taking out the trash to bringing in the cash and everything in between the accountability that you have to have as a leader of an organization, whether you're small uh, or large, anything in between, right? And then ensuring that no matter what, you know, no matter what uh, hurdles may happen, there's no, you can't make excuses and money at the same time. 
So uh, really, it was one of the best experiences. I think that's like my MBA. Uh, if I had to look back in life, that's definitely the MBA because ultimately you don't get a chance to work with um, right underneath a, a CEO or a president of a company. And I got a chance to do that and more. And um, fast forward, a lot of great things happened after that. But that was probably some of the most fun and challenging times that I had uh, back in Chicago. All right, I'm still writing that quote now. You can't make excuses and money at the same, at the I'm, same I'm time. I'm gonna use that, man. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I stole it from one of my my good ex coworkers. Shout out to Jamila. Uh, uh, she was uh, one of my mentors, and um, that just stuck with me, man. Because it just it holds you, keeps you honest, right? There's a lot of challenges, regardless systemically. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, we're still here. We still have a heartbeat. So do the work and um, yeah, just climb that hill. And um, especially during this time, this is more even, even more pronounced. Absolutely. So the the sales aspect, the, the cold calling, I'm, I'm assuming, and telemarketing yep. that you experienced kind of provided for a little uh, toughness uh, mm-hmm. to, to prepare you for, for what you're doing now. Absolutely. It was a combination of that and also really diving into how to really relationship build as it relates to, because I started, when I started off also, it was like, I made relationships more transactional than they needed to be rather than just building relationships that literally are, should be, uh, there should be some type of, uh, you know, we should be able to provide value on both ends, right? I mean, I think by the time I left the organization, um, that was something I became um, better at. And it's something that we're always getting better at on a day-to-day basis. But now I can confidently say the network, uh, my ability to dot connect and help others um, is just a derivative of just getting better at that part of the, an aspect of leading an organization, for sure. And I, I mentioned in the intro, when I, I said those of us suffering from chronic food allergies, I, I know I have some. I don't think they're chronic where, mm-hmm. where I, I need um, epinephrine. But there are foods that I like that cause a little discomfort. I really never knew this about you growing up. You have yourself some significant allergies. When Mm -hmm. I was reading, you know, doing my research on you, there's a phrase that kept coming up, patient entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. which is obviously embodying what you do. So was the transition from sales into that tech and, and medical device your your allergies that you suffer from had a lot to do with that, huh? Oh, absolutely. It was literally the genesis. Um, uh, I would say even after, you know, the transition into tech was going to be happening, but just the problem just kind of stuck out. And that was something also a, a takeaway uh, for the audience. It's all about focusing on the problems and not so- solutions. And that problem just kind of just marinated for a very long time. So the reality is that I came across tech via the most unlikely of resources. I believe a website called techcrunch.com. It's like the ESPN for tech, right? You get a chance to see who's raising what, uh, what innovations happening in our in our space, and just the the level and, and, and speed of innovation going on. And ironically, it, most of it happened in Silicon Valley. So uh, at least on paper, right? So in my brain, I was like, well, I'm clearly going to be in in California in a couple of years after I learned how to code. So during uh, the time I was still working at that insurance agency, um, I, from the time I got home to five in the morning, the night to five, that's the time you have to work on your, on your craft and your dreams and anything you want to get better at to get the advantage. And from there, that's when I started to learn how to code on my own. I got okay, took on a project, crashed and burned terribly because I really didn't know the fundamentals. And then from there, uh, much to the chagrin of other aspects of the family, I left the fan biz and said, you know what, 
in order to win this race, you have to have two feet in. Uh, so I got into a coding boot camp back in 2013, which uh, these are like uh, boot camps that are like eight to 10 to 12 X whatever weeks uh, that allows you to get uh, the core fundamentals and get you into a job in tech because tech was and still is one of the fastest growing sectors out in this world, right? Uh, so uh, once I got my chops, I applied all over the country, specifically on the West Coast. But for some reason, see, so the only folks that kept on uh, replying or the only real opportunities that I had were in the Midwest. Um, so I had three job offers, uh, one in Chicago and two in Detroit. Never been to the city. Uh, the only uh, direct tie I had is that I went to the same high school as Isaiah Thomas, who ended up playing for <laughs> the Detroit okay. Pistons. Uh -huh. um, but, um, you know, fast forward. Uh, got a chance to uh, make that full transition uh, away from the previous generation working in a sales capacity and getting into tech. And then from there, just learning all the aspects of health insurance, right? Um, I, really, I really always say that there's uh, the faster you can learn, the faster you study you are, uh, the more you can contribute to an organization, to an industry, right? Uh, so I learned, I, I always put things in parables and I'm from Chicago, so forgive me, Cecil, with this one, but I learned about what's called the triangle offense of healthcare that I call it. And that's really your patients, payers, and providers. And these are the end of the, the core stakeholders in our, in our space that need to be aware of your innovation. Uh, what value does it demonstrate to them? Uh, is it saving money to an organization, et cetera? So once I started to put these frameworks in, 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 in motion, you started to see a lot more of um, progress in different aspects of not just the business, but growth um, personally um, as well. One of the things I've, I've heard a lot is, is people calling different entities, you know, startups versus small business. And mm -hmm. I've learned that there is a difference to those two things. Is there not? Yeah. You know what? It, it, it's a very interesting question. It really just, I, it's really all in the eyes of the beholder. I guess when people talk about the different types, I guess, of businesses, I think, Venture-backed startups or venture-backable startups, these are startups that maybe have a longer trajectory towards uh, getting revenue or not even just that, uh, but um, it's a bigger play, right? Uh, they're going to need more resources to take advantage of a billion dollar or close to a billion dollar market uh, in, by itself, right? Uh, so uh, we think that that was like a huge opportunity for us uh, just in general to kind of take advantage of the momentum. Where do you feel allergy? Which bucket do they fit in the startup or the small business or oh, absolutely. Do, you even, do you even define it oh absolutely so in that capacity we're more in the startup capacity right so ultimately small businesses you're thinking about your mom and pop shop the pump the companies that literally run america right you think about what's happened in america um, from covid to uh the unrest due to the injustices that have been going on for years and years um, ultimately, those businesses that have been impacted is why um, we need to support small businesses. So when I think about small business, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm not going to say less capital efficient, but just uh, it varies in, in nature. Um, but if I think about us, I think about us as a startup. Uh, we're starting to mature into that growth stage. Um, and that's just a testimony of our team, not just myself, our ability to do a lot with little. Uh, when you think about the resources, I talked about <laughs> venture uh, uh, scalable or investor scalable or backable companies. You know, we, we've done a lot with a little and, and that's one of the things we, we definitely hang our hat on. But totally, we, we would uh, identify more so as a, a startup, but ultimately, we're all cousins. We're all, <laughs> when it, whether you're a startup or whether you're a small business owner, you have a lot of the same challenges uh, sure. from payroll to obviously making sure you bring in revenue, et cetera. So. Um, we'll wear whatever hat we need to wear to, to make the, get the job done for sure. And how long have you been doing it? 
Yeah, so I say part-time, I started in 20, so I quit my job at the very end of 2015. Um, around that time, um, important note to the story is that um, I had to kind of think about runway and knowing that this is going to be a very high uh, capital intensive business down the road. Uh, so uh, I took out some aspects of my 401k to buy a home cash in Detroit um, that I started working on with the missus um, on a yearly basis just to make sure we had something in this in a good state now. But that was really what we needed to kind of get started. That was back in 2015. 2016 was a figure it out year. See, so I, I knew I had something with allergy, but at the same token, I wanted to get back to my community. So I was teaching kids how to code with my wife and other folks um, that we respect to uh, pay it forward and also was doing consulting work. Uh, but once I, the big call you mentioned uh, from Code 2040 and Google for Entrepreneurs, uh, that was actually the first grant that we won um, in 2017. And from there, starting 2017, we actually been full time myself, um, specifically myself in 2017, 18 grew to uh, two additional team members. And then now we have uh, a total of uh, four folks uh, uh, that are full time, including myself, with a number of different uh, regulatory consultants and other a subject matter expert. So definitely uh, 2017 was like the kickoff year for us. And uh, we're really excited about 2020 has offered. Okay. So, so take us back. It's 2015. You're contemplating quitting your job and giving mm-hmm. your all or going in with two feet, as you say, into mm-hmm. this venture. What's going on in your head at that time? What, what are you oh, thinking yeah. about doubts? What anything? Oh, no. So if anything, I was thinking about, number one, the first person, you know, especially if you're, if you're fortunate to have any type of support in a household is having that real conversation, right? Um, this isn't my first rodeo having that conversation, right? If we rewind, uh, there was a transitional period of saying, hey, I got this thing, this new industry, talking to the missus, the spouse, uh, and she was extremely supportive. There were challenges in between, but we made it through. So this is round two of it now, right? So made the transition, making good money as a software developer and saying, hey, you know, every two weeks, I know, you know, uh, we've had this blessing coming in from corporate America, but uh, I think I have something that may be even bigger, right? And once we have that conversation, I'm not having that conversation the month or two weeks before I put my, my two weeks in, right? Uh, these are conversations that are happening months, if not a year before, uh, slowly but surely. Um, but at the same token, really starting to put money aside as best as possible. Um, I know that I was very fortunate to be in a position where I could do that. Um, I knew I wanted to you know, knock out a house to have runway. Um, but that was like the very first thing to make sure that you know, around that time period, make sure that from a capital perspective, you have a good amount. Um, also, as mentioned, I was taking on projects. I could have done a better job of uh, front loading the amount of projects, but the reality is that my heart really wanted to work on allergy. Uh, so it was a little bit of uh, the one crazy part I would say, Cecil, was that the one thing I would never recommend to any human is that you don't start, quit your job, start a startup, work on a nonprofit and do consulting work while rehabbing a home all at the same time. I did that in 2016 and I got stretched out. <laughs> uh, that was tough. Uh, but, um, you know, I, it also forced me to, to look in the mirror and say, what do you really like doing the most? And it, not even just that, but of these three, four, five things, what would allow you to impact the others the most? And the decision was allergy uh, across the board. If things work out well with this. You know, we can get back to the community. We can make sure other people are getting jobs, et cetera. You've mentioned that a couple of times already about the, the community and, and giving back. That's, that's really something that you want to continue doing and, and growing. Absolutely. You know, when I think about just uh, some of the things we talked about, right, um, 
we kicked off saying, hey, we're family, right? And I was doing some rehabbing around the house because that's what happens when you're in a quarantine, right? And I came across our family our family rules. There's 13 of them. And uh, one of them specifically is community service. And see, so I have not looked at this in years and years, but I keep on finding myself doing and just kind of following these protocols. I see you doing the same thing. And it's something that was instilled in us from day one. Uh, so yeah, starting off uh, my first, I would say community service was a, it was a one-year program, a one-summer program called How to Fish, where we were teaching kids in underserved or overlooked communities, um, specifically Black with a capital B. You got to be very, very explicit these days, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. not to be divisive, but just to be explicit. Uh, uh, communities that typically don't have access, whether it's to the internet, whether it's to just the knowledge that this is an incredible, fast-growing sector um, that can change your life and change your family's life, right? Uh, so it was about a six-week program where we did this in the basement of a church on the west side of Detroit. Um, uh, to put that in context, it was kind of like, you know, you're in Chicago, like the west side, certain parts of the west side. So, you know, there's opportunities, right? Um, no AC and the internet we didn't have for the first three uh, weeks. And we were teaching high school kids in the summer between 4 to 8 p.m. Incredible challenge. And that was a moment where I said, I can never be a teacher and God bless all of them, right? Sure. But the ROI from that was that we got a chance to work face-to-face with kids, two or three of which of the 12 actually changed uh, their majors from non-computer science to computer science. That's an incredible win right there, right? Um, so from there, I said, that if I can't do that full-time, I want to support other organizations like Journey, who's doing that, but extremely well, among others based in Detroit. But as time went on, um, I was very fortunate to just have more access uh, you know how they always say, um, getting a seat at the table. Uh, so I was actually brought on to be a founding team member for an organization you mentioned called MedTech Color. We're all about in just really trying to just uh, equal the playing field as it relates to uh, medical, medical device professionals, entrepreneurs, execs, to make sure we don't stop at that glass ceiling, to make sure that we get the resources that we need to provide access to obviously the resources to build great innovation, but also to employ more folks that may or may not look like us, but ultimately folks that can get the job done. And I think just having these conversations are extremely important. And um, that's something that I used to kind of um, kind of compartmentalize in one capacity, right? Working on allergy related stuff and kind of doing things in other uh, community-based organizations. And I still do that, see, but uh, these days, I've found that my walk is more consistent. Um, so as of next week on Juneteenth, uh, and uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be available uh, for review. But ultimately, we'll be doing a panel with other food allergy organizations and leaders in our space to make sure that we talk about uh, the racial disparities as it relates to food equity, among others. Um, and this is just what we call lifting when you, while you climb, right? Everybody doesn't do it, but if you get a chance to move up the ladder in this country, it is your responsibility to, to help out that next generation. And that's another one of our family core values. So really, I just kind of see us just working the offense that we've been growing up on our whole lives. So you mentioned uh, about resources. I know mm-hmm. for startups, resources and notably financial resources is a big challenge. What do you do and, and how do you go about marketing yourself and, and your company and to get a hold of those resources? Yeah, so I will say that the, the med device drug delivery connected space is one of those challenging areas, but we're fortunate to be working on something pretty cool. So 
uh, number one, just kind of walking into this, it was the same approach getting into tech, right? How can I learn as fast as possible? I'm not gonna get everything right, but learning as fast as possible includes what are the mentors uh, that have done this well, whether they're an investor, whether they're another startup um, leader that's actually raised capital, right? This could be somebody that I met over Twitter, it could be social media, et cetera. Um, but for us, I knew walking into this that there will be challenges inherent, you know, you can't have a conversation about startup funding, especially knowing that I think it's like under two or 3% of all VC venture capital dollars go to black and brown folks, um, specifically black and Latinx or Latinos. Uh, that's that's just low. not the way. Oh, it's it's pretty low. It's pretty low. Um, I will say that um, rest in peace to George Floyd and everything that's happened in our country is uh, spurring a lot of discussions around where uh, just creating more equitable uh, industries. And this is one of those that's starting to get impacted. So there's lots of new funds that are coming up. But even prior to that, CISO, knowing that, not knowing this will happen as of today's date, it was a combination of saying, okay, so there's pitch competitions. I don't really, our family's solid, you know, but ultimately, you know, we don't have the overall worth of other families just by way of um, this country that we live in. There's no knock to it. It's just the, it's just the reality of the situation. So I basically put myself out there, man. I basically put myself out there connecting on Twitter, working working the DMs on LinkedIn and, and Twitter is just to make sure that folks are aware of who you are in the first place. Because nine times out of 10, once they know you, you know, a conversation's gonna happen. We're not saying that's always gonna be a, a successful transaction, but at least you're moving the needle forward. Uh, so for us, being that we are working on a product that does require some type of, you know, regulatory component, um, it was um, a lot of the capital up front. So uh, from Google to JP Morgan Chase to other pitch competitions that are kind of sent our way, that kind of helped us out. But once we got our legs underneath us, uh, we started to find more um, forms of capital that made sense to us from local investors to healthcare medtech investors that can also add value and not just write a check for us as well too which obviously you can take a check and <laughs> any check is a good check i used to think that way but nowadays we're thinking you know we really want folks that understand our mission um that get where we're going and that's really kind of changed how we've been able to provide resources for the company in light of all that's going on in the country during this time i've seen you on social media you're very active are there like trade shows for this type of thing where you're face-to-face -face with people, conferences, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So it was actually a combination. Um, prior to COVID, it was like, okay, so a pitch competition for um, food allergy specific companies, right? So I'll make sure as an example, some hacks include getting on the Twitter, following the folks that have the resources, that are sharing the resources. Um, these could be your VCs, they could be, these could be investors. But most times these are going to be your ecosystem leaders, right? Um, firms and organizations that um, typically power regions by way of resources, uh, programming, et cetera, and just staying in the loop. And after a while, you kind of get a sense of, okay, this is the category that we fit in uh, from a pitch perspective, right? Uh, there may be some other ones. So maybe there's some diversity and inclusion funds we'll go after, right? Or pitch competitions. And sometimes it's just a quick uh, five minute pitch opportunity for hardware. So for us, it was a combination of some in person, um, but during COVID, and I think that's going to actually uh, kind of, I think it's going to it's going to persist moving forward. Uh, there's going to be a lot more of these types of conversations via Zoom. So we've actually done about uh, two, if not three, actual conferences from the same room that I'm in right now, 
And um, I believe that that's going to allow us to even move faster. So I don't have to catch a ticket to go to California or LA, cool places, right? Or New York, that is. Um, but ultimately, if I can have five, six meetings in a day versus one, that's that's a win for us. So for us, it was just making sure we stay on the pulse. Later on, we found other federal grants, and that's something we're currently exploring at the moment as well. Yeah, I imagine that is what consumes a lot of time. The mm-hmm. balance has to be filled, obviously, with the creative end of the business. The auto-injectable product mm-hmm. is your first product, or is that one of many? Or what's the thought going forward with that? Yeah, so the core product from day one is going to be the auto-injector phone case combination. But knowing that there was going to be a a longer trajectory towards commercialization, we knew that two things, we can drive and derive value right now via an app. Um, That was really our core skill strengths for the initial founding team. Um, I was um, hired by a guy uh, back in the day in health insurance who actually helped me uh, from a mobile app development perspective early on. Uh, So we have that. Uh, the lifestyle app that's currently available on iOS and Android. It's a free tool, which allows you literally to create profiles for yourself and anyone else that you have access to in the family to make sure whether it's a peanut allergy, whether it's a uh, cheese allergy, milk, et cetera. We can go through different recipes as well as different grocery store items to get a better sense of what's causing issues and track it in our diary, right? So that's the, 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 the core product that, just re- that was released and we have another version coming out. Um, but up down the road, we do have a really awesome B2B product uh, that um, essentially we just took from our lessons just being in the industry as long as we have been, right? Uh, so um, one is ready now. We got one that's going to take some regulatory approval, and we're looking really good for that. And then based upon the excitement, see, so that's really what keeps us going, especially when you have a longer trajectory. You know, we've been supported by pretty much every single one of the top food allergy organizations in the country, and it really just speaks to not... Uh, the innovation alone, but also about the team, because you mentioned that um, it takes a lot to run a small organization. We're pretty nimble. Uh, So ultimately, it's all about, for me, time management. So I know that I'm going to carve out some blocks and really go in and say, okay, I'm going to prospect, follow up, et cetera, put on my sales hat again, go through the motions and build up that momentum, right? But at the same token, we still have to hit milestones and we have limited um, um, man, man and woman power now, right? Uh, so for myself, even as a most recently leading on some of the design changes and other elements of the business, um, it's super fun to me, right? So um, even though your hands are pretty full, um, if you really are, you know, if, you, if you're really fortunate, if you've really done the, the research, if you really found a problem that you're really passionate about, you don't really feel like work. You just feel like you're just doing, you know, you're, you're more than anything life's work, more than anything else. And that's what powers us on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's something that I'm starting to see our team to kind of take uh, more ownership over. And that's when you start to feel like you got something special. So <laughs> you're not only providing that, that product, but also education to support folks who have these chronic allergies. Oh, absolutely. And that's really for us, like when you think about like pharma, like if we're going up against the top organizations in the world, they're billing out their marketing budget for a month is probably like 10 times <laughs> more than what we've raised overall over the last over the course of the company. Uh, so what's the best way to, uh, I would say, get notoriety and, and eyes on what we're up to? It goes back to what I mentioned before around relationship building, right? So we know that we have tons of organizations that support us. These are also the same organizations that have access to over 100,000 
uh, of patience and allergies of pop. Uh, so for us, that's a way to organically build that relationship. So once the device comes out, they know there's an app, there's trust, and ultimately the final piece of the puzzle and platform will be the, for them to acquire the, the epinephrine auto injector that we're developing on our side. Yeah, that's such, I'm, I'm just thinking back to what you said earlier, the, the compliance level for people who have these chronic food allergies is, is really low. I, it, Absolutely. It was less than 50%, I think, was that? Yeah, man. Yeah, two-thirds. What, what, what do you think is the reason for that? Why, why do folks not pay attention to this? Well, you know what? I, I can speak for myself and then expand based upon what I've learned, because ironically, it was a similar reason. So for me, it was an inconvenience to carry, right? So ultimately, yeah, let's say you had a, a food allergy reaction in the last year. It's still at the top of mind. Um, but there are some people that maybe have not had a reaction in 10 years, maybe 15 years. Uh, but once they have that peanut, if they have not outgrown that, then, you know, your guard is down. It's almost like, uh, God forbid, you know, you have a fire extinguisher at home, you forget about it, it's in the cut, it expires, you've never had a fire. But if you have a little bit of something that happens, oh my goodness, where is that thing? Running, scrambling, being proactive is what we're trying to do when we think about proactive patient-driven design. So when you think about it, Form factor-wise, our device will look like a battery case. But instead of saving your phone's life, we're all about saving your own life. So you can ultimately go from, hey, see, it's been a long time. We're having lunch right now, brunch, social distance, selfie, whatever that looks like. And then we could turn that phone around and say, hey, I think I may have ate something that doesn't agree with me and go from selfie to injection in under 30 seconds, right? And then also making sure that the right people know about it. And that's what we really, um, that's the embodiment from our perspective of what proactive patient-driven design should be, right? Being there when you need it, but also being in the background. So if there are no issues, you know, my phone case or my auto injector is not going to be a huge conversation starter unless it just needs to be. And it's really that it's the cost used to be one thing, but it's still a challenge to a certain capacity. And quite frankly, that social stigma of walking around with something that makes you feel different. Uh, talking with you know, uh, or just following the research from some of the leading organizations has proved that out. And as an example, I just uh, got appointed to another board uh, for uh, FACT with two A's, another food allergy organization. Uh, as an example, just when you get in front of parents and, and, and teenagers, it just validates the exact same reason. So if anything, it's just a behavioral thing more than anything else, uh, forgetfulness over time. And then those bad habits are just uh, passed on to kids and heck, sometimes parents just as they're <laughs> keeping care over their, their little ones, this this happens all the time for dads and even some moms that have the purse at times as well too. So while it is necessary to carry two at minimum, um, some folks are not carrying one in the first place. And we just want to make sure that, you know, we don't care if you're team iPhone or team Android, we want you to be team, bring your device with you to save your life at all times. And um, right now we think we got something special, but um, the one thing that's informed us is our audience, right? So if, if it's just Javier's opinion on the way things should go, I don't really think we've made, we would have made it as far as we have. Um, and a, one of our core values being mission over ego, meaning that no matter how much I know, there's someone else out there that may be closer to the opportunity. Let's listen. And that's what keeps us uh, learning on a day-to-day -day basis to make sure we get this right. So the the food allergy organizations are would be your primary customer? Is that correct? Well, you know, to a certain extent, actually. So they, a lot of the organizations actually, they serve a lot of purposes. One to educate, to promote the awareness around food allergy, because 
Um, as you mentioned, you know, growing up, you didn't really hear about it. It's actually one of those new, uh, and we can go have a full hour conversation as to why there's been an increase in food allergies, but it is going up. So the research and funding is just starting to catch up as of the last couple of years, and it still needs to, a, a long way to go. Uh, so we see that this is a, a prime opportunity to really do something special in this space. But uh, more than anything else, uh, as it relates to the industry, that's kind of our initial thoughts. And actually, I had three Slack messages come up. I know you're recording this, Cecil, and it, I, my thought was thrown off completely. Can you repeat the last question? I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I was asking, and, and you answered it. Uh, okay. Your, your ideal customer, it, it seems oh, yeah, like I it's can, these food allergy you. organizations. Absolutely. So that, and then on top of that, uh, these are the organizations. So going back to that triangle offensive healthcare. So the patients, uh, that the parents, these are the core folks that need to know about your innovation to ask for a prescription. But at the same token, the hospital systems, uh, your doctors, the payers, your insurance companies, it needs to be reimbursable. It needs to be covered. Uh, so these are the types of things and decisions leading up, you know, the, the, the regulatory choices we make now and the relationships we're building right now with these organizations all lead to a successful outcome. So there's lots of different stakeholders involved, but the allergy organizations are one of the core ones because they kind of uh, tap into all those different areas around uh, the, the triangle office of healthcare. All right. So I got a question now for what a lot, lot of folks find that myself included difficult to answer. If you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, right now, it'd just be, I would say more than anything else, I can't see anything else right now at this point. I've been fortunate to be at a place now where, you know, it's not a matter of, yeah, you get to dictate your own schedule and stuff like that, but more so, are you really passionate, Javier? When you look in the mirror, are you passionate about solving this problem? And I can authentically say that. Um, but if I had to answer the question, it's all about uh, providing access and opportunities, economic opportunities for folks that typically don't get it. And I still get a chance to do that through some of the organizations um, that I'm a part of that I've mentioned before, um, some that I was a part of. And just by, you know, the small opportunities on social media, DMing somebody to help them out um, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, giving back and economic empowerment is at the very top of the list. And I believe allergy to that, uh, you know, while we can save lives, that's the goal. It definitely will allow us to uh, do that at scale in terms of improving the community. Okay. So what do you do when you kick back, man? What's, you know, you, it's after five. I'm sure you work long after five, but uh, what, when you don't have to work, what, what are you doing to kick back? Man, these days, because I'm stuck in the house. So. <laughs> I saw you um, running busy. the other day, though. I, I saw you hitting the road. I haven't hit the I haven't hit the road since then, man. So that was that was that was a bad optic. Uh, I was super tired. I was like, nah, I'm not good at running. <laughs> but um, I will say that um, I've been doing a lot more housework. So um, as mentioned, we bought a fixer upper. House is in a real good state. Um, but there were a lot of different parts of the house and uh, that I really want to work on. Uh, for those that don't know, I didn't grow up this way. I was a plastic spoon, not a silver spoon kid. So basically <laughs> plastic spoon, meaning that I just had those, I had the expectation of those that have the wealth, not thinking I had to learn how to do this stuff. Um, but ultimately, um, learn how to kind of fix things on my own one. Uh, two, I miss basketball greatly. It's uh, my, my guilty pleasure. You know, we're sports people, man. So finding ways to kind of scratch that itch. Um, and then just keep it in shape. Um, trying to, you know, I think that's really good for our mental health. Um, uh, working, whether it's a bike or whatever, maybe more than anything else. And other than that, cooking and 
and and really just trying to make sure that from an ecosystem perspective, I do love that building and making sure others are, are doing pretty decent and supporting them, just having those conversations and, and finding ways to be helpful. But um, if we had to talk about this conversation, let's say it gets released and things are kind of normal again, it'd be going to play basketball, going to watch basketball, <laughs> building the company and, um, you know, listening to the latest in, in music. So there's a part of me, the, the kid in me still exists, but ultimately it helps to keep me balanced, to keep doing the work we're doing. It's funny you mentioned about the the fixing up in the house and mm-hmm. you're, you're probably learning, you know, what not to do as oh, you start yeah. fixing things. And mm-hmm. I, I've always judged the, the level of difficulty of any project by how many trips to the, the hardware <laughs> store I have to make. Because I've never box. seemed to get the right one the first time. You got to go back, get another part. You know, I, I've started to take pictures of stuff to show the, uh, mm-hmm. the guys at the store to what exactly what I'm trying to do. So to limit my trips. <laughs> Very true, man. Very true. And um, it's a, uh, and that's another exercise. I, I've, I've gotten to a point in life now I can kind of honestly say that Home Depot is one of my favorite places. Lowe's uh, specifically, these are my favorite places now where as a kid, it was Best Buy. So it's all about building versus consuming these days. So what's the most important thing as we close here? Um, what, what's the most important thing that people should know about you and, and your business? I guess about myself. Um, more than anything else, it's um, I'm no special um, than the, anyone hearing this. I'm just someone that is locked in. I kind of cancel the noise out. Um, things that I found that weren't serving me any well uh, from a time perspective, um, I kind of had to let shape. Um, sometimes that was difficult, but it was necessary for growth. Um, but uh, for me, it's like um, never let your ego don't get. Uh, yeah, here's here it is. Like the ego's one hell of a drug. Never get high off your own supply, right? So as you start to like uh, move up the ladder or start to see and, and feel that success, always know you can get better. Always know you can grow and help other individuals. And that's something I'm always reminded of on a day-to-day basis. I've always grown up this way, but still, um, you, I have to be completely mindful of that. Um, and then other than that, you know, from a company perspective, and this kind of is kind of tied into myself, another one of our core values is to adapt and attack. And that's the embodiment of grit, the ability to figure things out. The, big, the ability to make sure that we continue to, to move the needle forward regardless of whatever circumstances that we're in. And that's how I, when I reflect on my life, that's in heck, even anyone else in our family, any type of progress we've made is, is the exact same way. We adapt, we attack, and we figure out. And um, I think that mentality will allow you to uh, grow, uh, the evergreen mentality. And my last, I will say, quotable, I guess, is, you know, I talked about early on in this conversation, um, just the lessons you have to learn. You learn from the L's, right? Never take the L as a a loss, but take it as a lesson. And that allows you to have an evergreen mentality towards growth, towards just becoming your best self. And and none of what I've mentioned is easy. And it's still stuff that I struggle with on a day-to-day basis, but at least I'm putting the work in because I have a North Star. Uh, so um, just for anyone listening, just keep on putting the work in. It's not going to be easy, especially during this time. Um, you're probably thinking about, you know, you maybe had some changes in your employment because of what's happened recently. But when you zoom out and think about what's most important, uh, what problems you want to solve and start doing work, um, you know, the clouds start to open up a bit. So stay patient and, and, and continue doing the work. Well, Javier, I appreciate your drive. I appreciate your story and you sharing it the direction that you're heading, I'm 
I'm not only looking forward to, I'm expecting great things out of you and I'm happy that uh, I get to see it and be, be a part of it to a certain extent. So I I congratulate you and I I wish you the best for the future, my man. No, I appreciate you, man. And um, I'm, I'm always inspired by what you got going on as well too, man. And I think it's just, Iron sharpens iron, honestly. I think that's been the way we've come up, and um, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. I'm looking forward to uh, catching up soon and hopefully seeing it in person whenever that happens, man. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I will I will have to uh, make some time when we can make the time. <laughs> yeah, when we can, man, when we can. But, um, but no, man, I really appreciate this, and um, let's, let's, keep, let's keep it going. So how do folks uh, reach you or your company if they want to learn more or get involved in what you're doing? Yeah, so the name of the company is Allergy, A-L-E-R-J-E. So you can reach us on uh, social, all the socials except Instagram. It's at A-L-E-R-J-E. On Instagram, it's the exact same thing, A-L-E-R-J-E with an underscore. Somebody got to that before us. And then from there, you'll see anything we're up to from uh, pitch competitions to latest in our developments to upcoming panels and things, anything related to the food allergy industry or innovation, um, definitely check us out. And I'm always available on LinkedIn to connect personally um, as well, Javier, Evelyn. And um, yeah, those will be the main ways. And uh, we appreciate any of that support from the bar. All right. Well, thank you, Javier, Evelyn, for being on Cecil's Unknown Achievers. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for checking out the show. Until next time, I'm Cecil Archbold Jr. for Cecil's Unknown Achievers.